Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Disrupted Workforce podcast, a show focused on how disruptions such as coronavirus, the 2020 recession, AI, and emerging technologies are reshaping and reimagining work, skills, and purpose in 2020 and beyond. I'm Alex Schwartz. And I'm Nate Thompson. And we are your hosts. Our mission is to help you navigate these challenging and dynamic times with humanity, actionable insights, and honest conversations with experts in their field. Thanks for listening, and please be sure to rate and review the podcast if you find the content resonates with you. We are grateful for your time, attention, and hope you'll share these important conversations with the people in your life. We're here to help, and we want to make a difference. In this vulnerable episode, we dive deep into the power of mindset and resilience and discuss how critical these tools have been to both of us personally and professionally. Now combined, Alex and I have over 30 years of experience working with mindset and resilience in corporations, men's work, youth leadership summits, and with our coaching clients. We're excited to take you into the trenches and share the mindset and resilience hacks and best practices that have helped us through the toughest moments of our lives. It's hard not to notice that over the past 15 years, mindset and resilience have gained significant traction in the world of work, and with the disruptions caused by the pandemic and the recession. We feel these skills are more important than ever. As you already know, the U.S. and our economy are really struggling with coronavirus. We're six months into the pandemic, and Americans are understandably stressed, overworked, longing for human interaction, and some kind of normalcy. We have the most cases in the world by almost double, double, It's the second straight quarter of economic contraction. 55 million people have filed for unemployment since March, and small businesses continue to struggle and fold in record numbers. Future stimulus packages are facing political hurdles, and it is unclear what level of financial support the government will continue to provide for small businesses and the unemployed. Now, on a more positive note, the U.S. added 1.8 million jobs in July. Awesome. Which is awesome. Now, many businesses, including Google, Facebook, and Microsoft, are reducing their real estate footprint and telling their workforce to stay at home until 2021. And in some cases, telling their people to work from home indefinitely, like Slack, Atlassian, Twitter, Square, and Zillow. Toby Lutke, CEO of Shopify, announced that the world of work has been turned on its head and, quote, office centricity is over. Now, this is my favorite story. REI, the big outdoor equipment and outdoor adventure company, built a brand new headquarters in Seattle. It's finished and they will never move in. The the pandemic and recession has caused the leadership team to rethink their strategy and pivot on their operating model, which is fascinating. That's that's crazy. Nate, let me ask you a question. What do you think? Disrupted workforce, 2020 new HQ in the REI building. We, we take over the Seattle new HQ. That sounds great. You, me, <laughs> an intern, a bowling alley. I don't know. It could be great. Yeah. I mean, and financially, that makes all the sense in the world, right? Well, yeah. I mean, that's why I hit up uh, Heather for your line of credit. And um, <laughs> yeah, just my, my credit's my credit's fine, but I think... <laughs> 
this sort of assumed yours was better than mine. You're so responsible. Oh yeah, my HELOC. We'll just pay for it with my HELOC. No worries. Okay, the world of work has also been upended for parents. Work-life balance has been particularly challenging. They, including Alex and I, are spread super thin while trying to be their own daycare, keep up with their schools, constantly changing plans for the fall, and understand how to manage remote learning or the hybrid learning and do all the other normal tasks of life, such as work and find new employment. And I just have to say, whoever said working from home would make life easier was not speaking about parents. In my experience, it is not the case. I'm doing more jobs and longing more hours than I was when I was in the office. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm on conference calls while my son is watching Paw Patrol and screaming for snacks. Right. And I have these moments where I feel, you know, as a single parent, I feel guilty if I'm not giving him enough attention. And then I feel guilty if I'm not giving work enough attention. And it's, it's this internal struggle. And I, and I have to tell you, Nate, I just had my first hours of babysitting since February. Wow. Since February and <laughs> getting just two hours back in my day at the point where he was not napping it was absolutely magical. Yeah, you feel like you're a normal human being again. Exactly. So it's obvious that the pandemic and the related implications are here for years to come, and they're going to continue to alter work life, family structure, parenting, social interactions, business models, and of course, travel. As we uncovered in our last episode, the pandemic has also sped up digital transformation for most businesses. The race to automate further, as well as our overall dependence on technology in the workplace and also at home. Topics which we're going to dive much deeper into in our next episode. Yeah, and you know, my favorite comic, the digital transformation comic that has a team around a meeting table. And the person at the head of the meeting table is saying, oh, digital transformation is years away. I don't see our company having to change anytime soon. And then outside of the building is a giant wrecking ball called COVID-19. Exactly. And it's coming so quickly at all of these companies that they need both mindset and resilience to be able to adapt and actually go fully digital at a much faster pace than many of them were expecting. Absolutely. As challenging as all this is, our ability to face change, find strength in the face of adversity, and make meaning of life's challenges plays a huge role in our happiness, well-being, and advancement. And that's why we're focusing on mindset and resilience in this episode. These are superpowers which facilitate growth and perseverance no matter what lies in front of us, not only us, but our families, teams, and organizations. These tools aren't just for individuals. Top consulting firms such as McKinsey, Deloitte, Bain, and Ernst & Young are all publishing thought leadership on these topics with increasing frequency as the pandemic has taken hold, and also leading engagements with Fortune 500 companies to foster these traits within the C-suite and across organizations. Now, potentially the biggest success story in this space is the Microsoft transformation CEO Satya Nadella led to rediscover the soul of Microsoft. Satya used mindset as the foundation for the transformation, which brought the struggling company back from the brink of irrelevance to reemerge as one of the most valuable companies in the world. Now, Microsoft's market capitalization under Nadella has increased more than $1.2 trillion. It's remarkable transformation. It's all captured in the book, his book called Hit Refresh. And one of his quotes is, we're aspiring to have a living, learning culture with a growth mindset 
that allows us to learn from ourselves and our customers. I feel great about how it seems to be resonating and how it's seen as empowering. It's super inspiring. And I love the pivot because for so long, companies have been leading with tools and technology as the key drivers for transformation. And it's so refreshing to see that Satya's approach is that we have to change the way we think to change our culture and change the way we lead. Yes. Yes. Now, related to this in a more recent interview, Helena Helmerson, who is the new CEO of H&M since January, has had the very challenging job of helping the world's second largest fashion retailer bounce back from a 50% loss in the first quarter of this year. In her interview with the Financial Times, she affirms the push to focus on digital and also notes that they're going to close 170 stores globally, more than originally forecast. They're making pay cuts, budget cuts across admin, marketing, and staffing costs. They're accessing new lines of credit. And above all, she's citing the importance of quote-unquote resilience and having the ability to manage whatever happens, noting that resilience is critical in a world that has become so unpredictable. Which leads us to the key question, what exactly is mindset? While the concept of mindset has long been written about and discussed, it was psychologist Carol Dweck's research that took it mainstream in her 2006 book, Mindset, The New Psychology of Success. A mindset, according to Dweck, is a self-perception or self-theory that people hold about themselves. And here's the punchline. It's the story we tell ourselves about ourselves all day long. And that story translates into a fixed or growth mindset. By the way, her TED Talk, The Power of Believing You Can Improve, has over 11 million views. Craziness. I know. With regard to individuals, Dweck says... To briefly sum up the findings, individuals who believe their talents can be developed through hard work, good strategies, and input from others have a growth mindset. Now, these people tend to achieve more than those with a more fixed mindset or the people who believe their talents are innate gifts. This is because they're worrying less about looking smart and putting more energy into learning. With regard to organizations, Dweck says, when the entire companies embrace a growth mindset, their employees report feeling far more empowered and committed. They also receive far greater organizational support for collaboration and innovation. In contrast, people at primarily fixed mindset companies report more of one thing, cheating and deception among employees, presumably to gain an advantage in the talent race. That's fascinating. So when I'm speaking to leadership teams and companies, I always share If you don't know your predominant mindset and the predominant mindset of your organization, you are in trouble. Get this book because mindset is literally shaping the course of your life. And my favorite quote from the book is, the passion for stretching yourself and sticking to it, even and especially when it's not going well, is the hallmark of the growth mindset. That's exactly it. And I don't know if our listeners caught it, but there was a New York Times article this month on the power of mindset. And the author had interviewed Carol Dweck some years ago, and she went back to her to talk to her specifically about mindset in the pandemic and what are the key callouts for people to be aware of. And the number one thing that really popped up that Dweck said, she said, beware of assuming that because something doesn't come easily, you won't ever be good at it and then quit. It's so critical to focus on the process, what you're learning, 
rather than focusing on the final product. Yeah, so learn to love it. Yeah, learn to love it, love that process, and focus less on you know the final destination. Alex, uh, how about resilience? How does that play into this? Sure. So you and I agree that mindset and resilience go hand in hand, right? Yes, absolutely. So it's challenging to maintain a growth mindset over the course of your lifetime without also cultivating resilience to keep you going when you encounter obstacles. Now, according to the American Psychological Association, resilience is commonly referred to as the process of adapting well in the face of adversity, trauma, tragedy, threats, or significant sources of stress. Now, personally, I feel that mindset is your ability to embrace growth and welcomes life's challenges, whereas resilience is the perseverance and willpower to keep going when things get hard. Resilience is the gasoline that powers your engine for growth. And I've been fascinated by growth and personal transformation stories for many years. They light me up like just about nothing else does. And one of my favorite symbols of resilience and transformation is the phoenix. So this is the mythical bird that dies and is reborn, rising from the ashes of fire. And I'm so interested in understanding, you know, what are the ashes that you've risen from? And I think so much of the power is in understanding those ashes, right? I love that quote, by the way. I want to <laughs> understand the ashes that you're rising from. Alex Schwartz, disruptive workforce. Uh, <laughs> Copyright 2020. Uh, yeah, citation. <laughs> so there's a saying that there's a reason that the windshield of a car is bigger than the rear view mirror, right? Because we want to stay present. We want to focus on what's in front of us and what's what we're dealing with in the moment. But the rear view mirror is still there. So I think it's so important to be able to reflect back on the challenges that we've faced in our lives and make meaning of them to continue to move forward. And that when you encounter obstacles, you can look back for those moments of strength and perseverance and draw on them to give you the motivation to continue when you're encountering roadblocks or obstacles in the present moment. There's a great quote from J.K. Rowling who said, rock bottom became the solid foundation in which I rebuilt my life. And I just love that. Yeah, that's fantastic. And what a great story she has on that front. Rise and grind. I don't know if you've ever seen those t-shirts people wear or, uh, uh, you know, the whole idea of loving the grind, love the grind t-shirts. Um I'm, so more clean, of a, I'm more of a Rick Ross, every day I'm hustling kind of guy. Oh, yeah. yeah. I love yeah. that. Every day I'm <laughs> hustling. So clearly these two forces are present in everything we do. We've shared the definition of mindset and resilience. And now we want to invite you into an honest and vulnerable conversation between Alex and I about how powerful these tools have been to us both personally and professionally and why we think they're more critical than ever. We're going to ask each other some questions and pull back the curtain on how these forces have shown up and share key best practices and some that are not so obvious on how our listeners might unlock these superpowers even more at work, at home, and in the face of the stresses of this pandemic. I was just really hoping you were going to wrap some more Rick Ross, but we can that do the interview. Awesome. Every day I'm muscling. Okay, so let's dive in. Alex, why do you feel mindset and resilience are so important? I genuinely believe that mindset and resilience saved my life. Oh. And, and I, I don't say that to be hyperbolic or dramatic, but I, I believe that's true. Okay. So what's behind that? Well, I touched on this a bit in our first episode that I had a 
really tough time as a kid, being bullied, not fitting in, feeling lonely and isolated. And that by the time I was 11, I was feeling suicidal, like I didn't belong or didn't want to be here anymore. And I didn't try to take my own life, but I was in a really dark and sad place. Later at age 25, when I came to terms with the fact that I have uh, an addictive personality and my work hard, play hard lifestyle was heading down uh, a dark path, the solution to that, as was the solution to what I felt at age 11, was a combination of resilience and mindset and being able to just radically alter the trajectory of my life, of my beliefs, of the activities that I was doing and the stories that I was telling myself. So mentally, behaviorally, just a total shift. And I was able to apply those same principles to other really challenging events in my life. I shared that my dad is an incredibly important person uh, to me. I lost him very suddenly about five years ago. He was my best friend in the world and an uh, incredible mentor to me. Died of a heart attack here one moment, gone two minutes later. I think these skills have really helped me learn how to become a much better single parent after a divorce. And 100% during the pandemic, they've been invaluable. And professionally, a game changer in unlocking my potential and fighting those moments of, of self-doubt when it felt hard to move forward in, in career shifts or in big challenges in my work life and using those tools to level up. Huge moments. Thank you for dropping us in right, right away. Like most of us, those mindset and resilience pieces come up during the most significant emotional events in our lives. Completely. Really, really big shifts. How about you, Nate? Tell me about the importance of mindset and resilience in your life. You know, mindset changed the course of my life. So I, uh, it's like a fork in the road. I was going down one path and then it just completely changed. For the first 23 years of my life, I, I look back on that and I can confidently say I had a fixed mindset. It was unconscious. I didn't know that's what was going on. But the stories that I was telling myself about myself and my life and my situation, my value were uh, very fixed. And that, and that doesn't mean I didn't have a great childhood or anything like that. It just means I, I was unaware of my fixed mindset. And then I finally became aware of it and started to change my stories. Short version is I feel like it was turning on the lights. Like uh, once I started to become aware of mindset, everything was new. You know, every, every relationship, every situation, every opportunity. That's fascinating and so impactful. And I think it's, it's really interesting knowing how old you are that you basically spent 50% of your life in a fixed mindset and now another 50% in a growth mindset. So I'd really like to unpack that a bit more and talk about the quality of your life in the subsequent years as opposed to what it was like beforehand. But first, Alex, how did you come to know about mindset or when did you start to awaken to the idea of mindset? So 
as I mentioned, when I was 11 years old, I was in that really tough place. And there was this kid in my neighborhood who came back from this summer camp and told me about it. He said, Hey, I just went to this camp, Camp Challenge in Bradford, Vermont. And I said, Tell me more. And he said, Oh, you know, it's 30 days and it's really focused on unlocking your potential and all these physical challenges. And he didn't tell me too much, but I could tell that he had changed because I knew him before and after. And he just had more confidence. He seemed more determined and more directed. And given how adrift I felt, I think is the right word in my life at that point, I was ready for anything. So I said, I'm going to go do this thing. But I had no appreciation for how hard it would be. So I get there, Nate. And the whole camp, every counselor is ex-army or army reserves. Day two, you get up at six o'clock in the morning. I'm 12 years old. They've got me PTing, running, doing obstacle courses. Full boot camp. Full, yeah, full on boot <laughs> camp for kids. Yeah. Full on boot camp for kids in the woods. And I am struggling. I am not in good enough shape for this. I am lagging behind. And I'm competitive, right? But I'm not competing with these other kids who clearly seem to be, you know, having a leg up a lot of them uh, on their physical fitness from where I was at. So about two weeks in, I'm miserable, totally miserable. And I call home and I tell my parents, get me the hell out of here, please. Like, come pick me up tomorrow. And my dad says to me, he's like, well, are you, are you sure you want to do that? I was like, yeah, I think so. And he said, well, could you, could you stick it out? I said, well, I don't know, maybe, I, I mean, I don't know about sticking out the whole time, but maybe another day or two, maybe a week. I don't know. He said, well, we're busy anyway, so we, we don't want to drive up to Vermont tomorrow. So why don't you, why don't you do that for a couple of days and see how it goes? What he was really doing was, was trying to fix my mindset. And I, I didn't recognize it in those terms. So I stick it out and it's an incredible experience. And I get through everything from these guys. You say, you say a swear word, you say the word shit and it's dropping, give me 25 pushups. But I learn how to mountain climb a little bit. I do some whitewater rafting. And the last day is this 24-hour solo where you go into the woods solo. You're removed from all the other campers. You can't associate with any other campers. And you're alone in the woods. And there's varying degrees of difficulty. And at this point, I'm so fired up by being challenged that I want to get as uncomfortable as possible. So I do the, the hardest level that they'll, that they'll let me do. And I'm wearing you know, thin layers of clothing and it's very cold in Vermont in the summer, summer nights. It's not, you know, summer nights as you envision them. And I've got a steel wool to, and Flint to light a fire. But my steel wool got wet. I didn't opt for the matches, right? The matches. So that was the easier level. And I can't get a fire lit. And I spent eight hours in the woods, just freezing while the sun was down, just absolutely freezing. And I'm eating raw hot dogs and a raw <laughs> potato and I am miserable. And the next morning when the sun comes up, I am so grateful. And there's this sense that there's just a, a much higher ceiling on what I can do and what I can get through. Yeah. I did this. Yeah. Like I did this and that became a foundational moment for me of going to physical challenges and going to the woods to raise the ceiling of my experience and shatter limiting beliefs. And so I've done that subsequently. I've done uh, two 30-day uh, expeditions with the National Outdoor Leadership School, one when I, when I was 18 um, in the Olympic National Rainforest and Olympic Mountains, one when I was 21 in Prince William Sound, 30 days of sea kayaking in Alaska. I've noticed that 
the men's work that I've done has all been in nature, right? Or started in nature, rather. I did a retreat with the Mankind Project and then more recently with Junto last year, which became the basis for founding my own men's group. And then more recently in quarantine, I was outside New York City for 11 weeks in the woods. I rented an Airbnb and I was kayaking, mountain biking, hiking, running. Uh, I was going into the ocean. The ocean was 44 degrees to just kind of get out of my comfort zone. Um, And then I spent uh, a week in Utah uh, in early June and hiked all five parks, rafting, mountain biking. And what this has led to is that I'm in the best shape of my life at 42 years old. And this is with, you know, herniated discs in my lower back and other challenges I've come up against because I use this physical nature to, to shatter mindsets. And I really come to see mindset as this three-legged stool. It's academic and intellectual understanding. It's this physical manifestation. You know, how do you get through blocks with physicality? And then the third is really mindfulness, which is the death of the ego. How do you control your emotions and the ways that our egos try to creep in and distract us with negative beliefs? It's such a great story and a reminder that it's not always about an intellectual exercise or reading a book or listening to someone else talk, but you can have this experience deeply anchored to nature, going going into these physical uh, environments and finding your next level. There's so much mindset and resilience goodness in there. And not only for you and all that you overcame at Camp Challenge, but the mindset of your parents and how your dad very thoughtfully asked you some questions and kind of encouraged you to stay, to learn and grow. Yeah. So what was your before and after mindset? Camp Challenge before and after. My before mindset was was victim. I felt I was a victim, a victim of circumstance, being bullied, being a late bloomer, feeling like I didn't fit in, feeling socially awkward. And camp helped me find a new level of me mentally and physically and learning that I could do so much more just by really pushing myself to grow. And it was such an incredible unlock. Back to you, my friend. How did you come to know about mindset? My intro to mindset was sparked by, I I call it the pressure cooker. I was thrust into sort of this back-to-back-to-back series of challenging events in a very short period of time. So I, I graduate high school. I go to college for a little bit to play football. I didn't enjoy it. I drop out. and. I moved back to my hometown where I connect with some of my buddies that I went to high school with. And we, you know, we said, we're going to go enroll in this other college together. And we were only there for a couple of months. And they call me one night to my friends and they say, Hey, let's go play in this basketball tournament. Can you come with us? And I say, no, I have to work. They go to the tournament. I get a call that night, three, four in the morning. And it's one of my friends that says, Hey, our, our friends are dead. And so the backstory is they they went drinking and driving. They didn't have seatbelts on. They're ejected from the car. This is December 1997. So we bury them on Christmas. If that wasn't a shock enough, I go home. One of them is my roommate at college. And so I clean up his room. I take it home to his parents. You know, we bury him on Christmas. And then I call the landlord when I get back and say, uh, Gene, Gene has passed and... 
um, we're not going to be able to pay the rent. And she was very kind, but she said, you got to get out of the house. So we get out of the house and I drop out of college again because I just, I wasn't in a good place. And Unreal. yeah, it was just, just like, unreal. boom, boom, boom. Well then March. So that was December in March. My brother's gets his license. He's 16. He goes to a nearby town with a friend to watch a movie. Uh, we grew this up is, in a, this is your younger brother, right? Yeah. My younger brother, Matt. And mm-hmm. You know, he's really excited to take this trip. It's a big trip for someone when they first get their license. Well, a storm sets in. He tries to drive home. He's inexperienced and there's black ice on the road. He rolls the car. And for whatever reason, he also did not have his seatbelt on. So punchline, people, please wear your seatbelt. He uh, has a traumatic brain injury. So fortunately, someone found him. They get 911 called. His passenger was fine, but he had a you know, very serious head injury. So he automatically goes into ICU and then goes into traumatic brain injury kind of survivor mode where they, he has to learn to walk and talk again. So I was not handling all this well at all. And uh, I didn't really feel like I had the tools. I didn't know who to reach out to. But at one point, my friend calls me who had gone to the Navy straight out of uh, high school from San Diego. And he says, it was just a random call. He goes, what are you doing right now? And I said, I'm drowning. And he goes, come to San Diego and just start over. So I literally pack my, I had a old forerunner at the time and I pack whatever I could into the back of that thing. And I just drove. Right. And it, mm-hmm. it was basically like running away. Like I was, I didn't know what to do with my life. Well, I get there, and in a very short period of time, I get a letter from the state of Colorado that says, you need to go to this building on this day at this time and take a, a blood test to determine if you're the father of this child. And I'm like, oh, what the hell is happening to my life? So I go, I take the blood test, and they send me uh, back another letter that says 999 nine, eight percent chance you're the father of this child. And, and, and of course, all the other things ensue, the state of Colorado and child support and everything else. Now, the backstory, and that is one night, one time, I went out and had some drinks, uh, had an experience with a young lady, and it led to the pregnancy of my daughter. And so I call that the pressure cooker because it was just like bang, 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 all these things just loaded on top of me. And I, I didn't know how to process that. I'm not sure that anybody's really equipped to process that well, unless you're in a really great supportive environment. And so in my life crash, I I'm out in San Diego. I'm kind of by myself, my buddy and I, and um, I go to this book store called bookstar. It's not called bookstar anymore, but it was bookstar in La Jolla, California. And I literally walk into the self-help aisle cause I'm reeling. And I just say to myself, what has happened to my life? There's got to be a better way. I'm not the first person to have bad things happen. I got to find a book that's going to help me through this. So I'm scanning the spines of the books and I come across a book called Life 101 by Peter McWilliams. And I grab it and I open it and I scan a couple of pages and I'm like, this is it. This is the book that's going to help me start to turn this thing around. Well, yeah, long story short, a new journey begins. I start voraciously consuming how to turn your life around, you know, life transformation, personal development, 
books and audio books and courses and seminars. And 22 years later, I'm still voraciously learning and growing. So that pressure cooker lit a fire in me that, as, as I said, there was a fork in the road. It literally just shot me a completely different direction. It's such an unbelievable story of how these things came together in such rapid succession, right? I mean, I, I, I can't even imagine how that felt to just have these hits just coming one after the next. Kudos to you, not only for your ability to pick yourself up at all, Nate, from one event to the next, but to have that moment of recognition of, hey, nobody's going to help me through this, so I need to go help myself. And that moment of desperation walking into that bookstore. It absolutely was desperation. <laughs> it yeah. was full tilt. Yeah. I do think it is a little bit of a shame that this happened to you at 22 or 23, because as you know, my personal transformation started about 10 years before then. So I, I think I was about 10 years ahead of you. Not, <laughs> not that I want to be you know competitive or anything or kind of focus on the wrong things here, uh, but yeah. So <laughs> Changing, <laughs> changing gears. Did you, did you grow up? Cause I want to, I want to build on this from sort of where you started. Did you grow up with powerful examples of fixed mindsets? And I asked that because you were talking about not really having a support network or people that sort of were able to nurture you through that. What are the mindsets around you? Yeah. And I, I want to make this clear. My parents were awesome. What I'm about to talk about is much broader than that is over the course of an 18 year life, you know, where a kid's getting their start and starting to move through the world. I lived in multiple towns. I went to multiple colleges, you know, so this is a much broader view of that, but I definitely experienced, I think some of the things that all of us experience, classism, racism, sexism, homophobia, Uh, I can remember when someone said to me, you know, I talked about going to the city and living in the city and people were like, no, 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 the city's too dangerous. Now for background, I grew up in a very small town on the Eastern Plains of Colorado. And I can remember people saying things to me, like when I was moving to California, someone literally said to me, don't go, don't you know that there are earthquakes out there? California is going to fall into the ocean. I can remember someone saying to me that, Hey, you're probably not going to amount to too much. How did you, how did you respond to the California's going to fall to the ocean question? I, I just it didn't even <laughs> compute. I just was kind of like my head turned sideways. Like what? Are you, <laughs> what are you saying? But this, you know, where people say things that let you know a lot about their mindset, and uh, I think those are just some specific examples. But. I I guess I also want to say, don't worry, there was plenty of goodness there, but I can remember these acute moments where a very fixed mindset was sort of pushed at me. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I can imagine that when you're young and impressionable, it's really hard to, to hear those things. And it's also confusing. And I think what you're saying and what I've sort of also experienced in my own life is that being around fixed mindsets is somewhat contagious, right? Definitely. Whether you're aware of it or not, uh, you know, it starts to influence you consciously or unconsciously. And it, I think it begs the question for all of us now, as we're kind of on a journey to discover our mindset and our resilience is whose mindset have you taken on? 
and you don't even realize it. You know, you picked it up somewhere in your past. It was somebody else's mindset. Now, now you're trying to unravel that. I certainly had to spend years rewriting mindsets that I picked up somewhere in my youth. Going the other direction, have you ever aspired to the mindset of someone such as a mentor or hero? Yeah, for sure. I mean, my dad comes up for me uh, again. It's it's hard to talk about mindset and resilience without talking about him. He was absolutely a, a superhero in my life. He was so persistent and tenacious in both his personal life and, and in business and this sort of idea of doing whatever it took. So whether it was getting through high school in three instead of four years and then going to Harvard at 17 and then subsequently getting a master's from Columbia wow. in Fordham and then just shy of his Good PhD grief. in economics at Columbia, which he left to go take a, a, an incredible, uh, incredible job opportunity. And he had some, you know, really, really big blowups uh, in his business life and just uh, rebuilt from, from his own ashes of those, of those businesses you know, one anecdote that stands out is that my parents really loved to sail and they, they never owned a sailboat. So they would just mooch off of friends. So we would go and we'd go sailing with friends and we're out on this boat. We're in the middle of the ocean and the propeller gets stuck and there's no wind. So no motor, no wind, we are stuck. And rather than wait for the coast guard, this was our you know family friend's boat. My dad just you know grabs a knife in his teeth and throws on a pair of goggles and swim shorts and just jumps in the ocean. And I remember sticking my toe in the ocean earlier that day. It was freezing. And he just gets under the boat and untangles the propeller and off we go. Was that, was that sort of super dad moment where you just in awe of what your dad just did? Yeah, it was just, it was just uh, who he was. I mean, it was so emblematic of who he was and I was just really, really proud to be his son and proud to learn those lessons. And I think, um, you know, today, someone who really sticks out for me is David Goggins. Some of you folks may have heard of him. And sometimes he gets uh, a little bit of a bad rap because he does swear like a sailor because he was a sailor, a Navy SEAL. And I was introduced to him last year. I kept hearing about this book that he'd written called Can't Hurt Me. And it's an amazing story about his will and perseverance. And everyone should read it. And it's actually great on Audible. And the way that he describes it is he should have been a statistic, right? Because he grew up with a father who was a raging alcoholic, who beat him, who beat his mother, who beat his brother, also verbally abused. And he was working all night for his dad in a, in a roller rink and failing miserably at school. And so he also experienced racial prejudice, asthma, a learning disability, a stutter, good uh, grief, uh, yeah, obesity, and then crushingly low self-esteem. And in his early twenties, he weighs three hundred pounds, and he decides he wants to become a Navy SEAL. And he goes to every recruiter, and they all tell him no. And he finally finds one who says, "Yeah, you can do it, but training starts in six weeks." And you have to lose 150 pounds. Which was more of a, you'll never do this, get out of my face than it was anything else. It, it was that, but it was also like, there is a way, but here's what it takes. Right. So he goes and he does it. And he ends up actually going through SEAL training three times because uh, there's, there's Hell Week, which is also known as BUDS. And at one point he's going through BUDS running on broken legs I mean, the, the tenacity and, and, and the drive is just incredible. And later on in life, he became 
an endurance athlete. And he recently uh, ran 200 miles nonstop in 39 hours. He broke the world pull-up record in 24 hours. And what he talks about is the idea that motivation comes and goes, but you really need to be driven. And in order to be driven, you have to become obsessed with your goals and go to war with yourself every day and get outside your comfort zone every single day. And he said, quote unquote, you are in danger of living a life so comfortable and so soft, you'll never realize your true potential. And this idea that you have to callous your mind the same way you callous your hands in the gym by continuing to face things that are uncomfortable. I just really love that mentality. And one of my favorite quotes over the years has been that life begins at the end of your comfort zone. And that's from uh, Neil Donald Walsh. I think just, you know, for me personally, one of the first times I ever shared in men's group, they said, Alex, can you share something about yourself that is just absolutely true and that we don't know? For me, it was the realization that you can knock me down a thousand times, but I will always get up. The part about going to war with yourself is such a powerful hack. And it's this idea that you challenge your own thinking again and again, right? To to start to get to that next level, you have to start to challenge what you believe in and what you're, you're capable of. Let's pivot to moments and mindset. Nate, looking back at your life, is there a specific time you were facing an important opportunity or challenge, but you had a fixed mindset? Let me give you an example from my own life, which is imposter syndrome. So fun. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Imposter syndrome. Yep. Early on in my, my last job at Publicis Sapien, I was a business development and growth strategist leading conversations with C-suite executives for, for pitches and for new business. And even though I'd done my homework, I'd walk into these rooms and I would feel insecure. I would have moments of self-doubt where I wondered, am I going to add value? Are they going to respect me? Are they going to want to listen to me because my title is not matching their title? And these things came up and I really had to do the work to figure out how was I going to overcome this and get really better at my job and allow the self-doubt to, to slip away. So right. I became, you know, totally obsessed with, with knowing their business and knowing the business problems that they were facing inside and out, knowing I'd put in the work, I'd rehearse with members of my team to get feedback and also use self-affirmation to create a stronger inner dialogue. And my ability, sure enough, to lead these conversations drastically increased, and that self-doubt just totally fell away. And toward you know the end of the six years I, I spent with Sapient, you know, I could pick up the phone to just about anybody with even cursory knowledge of their business and feel like I could lead the conversation. No, yeah, issue. I mean, part of it was just surviving and getting that experience to feel more comfortable. But another part sounds like was doing the work to recognize the mindset and then unpack it and improve it. Yeah. So as I said, I uh, spent a lot of years unlearning mindsets in examples include poverty, growing up in poverty, education, and the, you know, dropping out of school multiple times and that whole kind of dialogue around that my friends, accidents, the unplanned pregnancy, I had some failed businesses investing we you know when i grew up in poverty investing was a, a whole mindset thing i had to work through pull-ups was something a physical thing that i can remember being on the recess and the coach person at recess came over and said let's see how many pull-ups you could do and i remember feeling kind of ashamed that i couldn't 
even do one or the idea of a marathon where people would say, Oh yeah, I ran a marathon. And I was like, there's no way I could do that. So uh, those are just, <laughs> there's so many of these things in my life that I've had to wrestle with and rewrite. And I think the marathon would be an easy one to explain only because it was very recent for me. So as I grew up as an athlete and, you know, grade school, middle school, high school, a little bit into college, I was always playing sports, but I had for whatever reason, and I'm not even sure where it started, picked up this idea that I'm not a long distance runner. I don't like running. Right. And a clear fixed mindset. So I, uh, got into some races called obstacle course races. If you've ever heard of Spartan races, I, it was a really fun way for me to challenge myself, but it wasn't like pure running and it was fun and I liked it. So I started to do that and I started to do the longer distances and it was opening my mindset to, Hey, this is kind of fun. And it was also opening my mindset to, I can run longer distances because this is fun. It was, it was different, right? So this year, my wife and I set a goal to run a marathon, something that in my whole life, I'd never even thought about that was crazy. I would never do that, whatever. And we just set a goal and said, well, why don't we run a marathon? Well, then coronavirus shows up and cancels all the races. And I think it would have been very normal, natural to go, okay, whatever, that's gone. But instead, I just said, I'm going to run it anyway, because it's not about the medal. It's not about the t-shirt. It's not about crossing the line. For me, it was, I'm going to break this mindset that I'm not a runner and that I could never do something like this. And so Heather and I just kept running and we kept extending our mileage. You know, five became 10 and 10 became 15. And next thing you know, I just set a race day and I told people about, I said, I'm going to run a marathon on this day. And it was just in my neighborhood. You know, I, I just went out and started running. And I think one of the coolest things that happened was while I was running, you know, I was checking in with my body and I didn't care about time. I was just getting to this goal. And while I'm there, I can see that I'm coming up on 26 miles. I was 25 and some, some change. And I can remember getting this really intense pain in my foot and thinking, oh my gosh, am I going to be able to do this? But I, I was like, I'm so close. Let's just hit the goal. Well, as I keep going, the pain goes away and I get to 26.2. And one of the things that I've, I've always asked myself, and this has been inspired by my buddy, Ben, who runs some ultras, is I was wondering if I could run to the baby ultra, which is a 30 mile. And so I hit 26.2 and I just asked myself, well, what if I keep going. I mean, I'm this far in, why not keep going and see if I can hit that? Well, long story short, I hit 30 miles. I did my marathon and I hit 30 miles and it was just like smashing this mindset of, I couldn't do that. That's not for me. My body's not built like that. I could never be a long distance runner. All that stuff that was in my head in one moment just gets smashed. And, and that's 2020. That's awesome. I just love that story. I want to take a minute and because of what we talked about at the open about the current state of unemployment and the economy, I think our audience would love to hear more about those failed businesses. So can you share more about that? Sure. Sure. When I moved out to San Diego, I ended up working for Qualcomm and which is a wonderful company, had a wonderful experience there and doing some engineering work. And then 
I got in, started investing in real estate on the side. And if, if y'all remember, there was this real estate bubble where real estate was going crazy in our country. And I was on that ride. And so we were flipping properties in some cases, making a hundred thousand dollars on a property. And I thought it was the greatest thing ever. Of course, yes, the crash is looming in the background, but it was my first big entrepreneurial adventure. And so I had personal investments, partnership investments, and then I ended up getting involved in a brokerage with some of the partners that we had been investing in with. And we end up having a pretty big disagreement about the direction of the company and how we should be handling transactions and loans, et cetera. And that conversation sort of boils to a point where I say, you know, I don't want to be here anymore. And they say, that's fine. We're going to separate. That ended up being my first lawsuit, my first um, deposition, my first settlement, having the lawyers help us go through that. And, and looking back on it, it was pretty crazy to remember saying, I'm, I want out of everything, all three personal partnership and brokerage all in one day losing mm. hundreds of thousands of dollars in the process oh not God. only not only in the crash the real estate crash where we had properties a hundred thousand dollars upside down it, but it was also paying the lawyers to help us go through this whole thing and the thing that i'm proud of was that i handled it with integrity to say i don't know how to do all this i don't know how to unravel all this but i know it's the right thing to do I'm going to pay this lawyer to help me figure it out. And and then the the crash or the implications of that were it took me 10 years to recover financially. I mean, it everything was beat up <laughs> financially. I can but imagine, I, yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't change it though. I wouldn't change it for the world because I kind of got a, I don't know, a real world MBA or whatever from living through that. What really stands out for me is that you're able to keep your values through that and show up with integrity and show up in alignment and not react in an emotional way. And I think that for a lot of folks in these transitional moments is really hard to do. That's something, you know, I feel strongly about is that having kind of emotional sobriety for lack of a better word is when you're, when you're that triggered and when things are going South, kudos to you, man. That's awesome. Alex, what moment of your adult life stands out to you as a turning point with mindset? You know, what happened and why? It's, it's a tough question to answer, right? Because like you, there are, there are a lot of moments that feel like they have weight or, or gravitas. But I think I want to talk about getting sober simply because the mindset that existed for me and I feel exists for most people struggling with addiction is just so incredibly paralyzing and challenging at times. And my struggles were, had been very gradual, right? I started drinking and doing, uh, you know, smoking some pot when I was 16 and it caught up with me slowly and I was a high achiever throughout, especially in my career after college, you know, I had these, these tough jobs and these great jobs and I was getting good reviews, but I was a weekend warrior. But the thing is that the story in my head was that I need drugs and alcohol in order to be fun. They were social lubricant. It was very much part of the New York city yeah, lifestyle. There's a huge mindset. I need drugs and alcohol in order to be the fun Alex. Right. So that they were, they were sort of the 
the thing that brought out these pieces of my personality that had uh, overcome, you know, the social awkwardness, the feeling of not belonging, the inability to be comfortable, you know, talking to women. They, they, they'd been tied mentally as, as such confidence boosters. And so when I see the writing on the wall. I see that even though I'm just partying on the weekends, that this is getting dangerous. And that even though I haven't lost a, a job yet or uh, any friends or haven't had any major health concerns, that that's where this will go because this is a progressive disease. And I began to see that my ability to choose behavior was slipping away. So I make the choice to, to, to sort of face this beast head on and to go cold turkey and to get sober. But the story was my life was over, Nate. I thought my life was over. I thought I would go to work, go home, eat dinner, sleep, go to work. Go home. I, I thought I'd sort of live this sort of groundhog day existence right. that I wouldn't have friends and all these things that I had fought so hard for, right. That hadn't been part of those early years. And People would come up and say, oh, you're going to have this beautiful and amazing life in sobriety and you're going to have all these friends and, and, and you know, you're going to have a life beyond your wildest dreams. And I wanted to punch them in the face. <laughs> I was so pissed when people would tell me this and right. I did not believe it. My mindset was so fixed. And incrementally, as I got sober, little by little, I began to go out more. I began to open up more and it took a lot of time and a lot of effort but I was able to gradually unlock these pieces of myself. Now, so did that, you do that? Were you kind of flying solo or did you have help? So I did that, you know, through, through the AA program, but also just in talking to some of my closest friends and saying, Hey, keep inviting me out, uh, keep including me and making choices little by little to put myself in environments that were, that were tempting, but that I knew that I could handle. To the point where I could still go to to bars and nightclubs and and do all the things that I was doing before, but do them sober. And I'm not recommending that people that are struggling with sobriety do that because it can be very triggering. It can be very tempting. But that was something that felt authentic to me, that there was a goal that I need to be able to live the life that I was living and not say no to certain opportunities just because, you know, alcohol or drugs might be present. And that was pretty amazing. About a year and a half later, I had this, you know, wonderful weekend 30th birthday party celebration where, you know, I was out with friends all weekend long up till five in the morning, DJ parties, all that stuff. And not that that stuff is so important, but that I could do it sober was important to me. And I, I, I feel like so many folks are struggling with addiction right now, especially in light of coronavirus. And I saw a stat the other day that alcohol sales are up 27% since the start of this pandemic and drug overdoses were up like 42% in May. So people are numbing out, right? People are numbing out. And if this can help somebody examine their own limiting beliefs around drugs and alcohol, I, I would be super happy about that. So you described you know, a lot of mindset shifts earlier in your life and you expanded on the running and the marathon, which is incredible and how you got through losing those businesses. But is there something that on a personal front, similar to, you know, getting sober for me, that means the most to you? Yes, definitely. Education for me was a, a huge hurdle. It was a 
mountain that I had to face and climb. And that's the story for me. And it begins with me as an ad- average student. I, as I said, sports was my thing. It kept me eligible, but I wasn't into school. It just wasn't my jam. And I had a kind of internal conversation that was school's not for me. I, you know, went to college with a friend to play football and I, it was just because I didn't know what else I wanted to do. And it, I mean, even that was kind of embarrassing. Like <laughs> I didn't have a plan. And then I, as I said, I dropped out and then I dropped out again. And so this, there was this reinforcing mantra of school's not for me, school's not for me. Mm-hmm. And the summary was that I was embarrassed. I, I felt shame. I was sad. I felt like a failure and I was scared because I thought my life's not going to amount to anything. And that realization that young is what to me was very scary. And the turning point was simple that the life crash, as I said, kind of thrust me into this place of seeing things differently. And the beautiful thing that happened inside of that was falling in love with learning in a completely different way. So it had nothing to do Mm. with academic education. It had everything to do with transforming my life. And that little seed turned into fertile ground for two conversations. And those two conversations were Marilyn Capra and Irfan Zaman, who both at probably within a year and a half of one another said something powerful to me that kind of shocked my system, which was something like, Nate, you're very intelligent, talented, and I'm just concerned that you're not going to achieve your potential unless you go back to school, you need to do this or these doors are not going to open. And Mm. that really hit hard. I believed him. So I had to face it. I had to go face this fear of school is not for me. I'm not good at school. I've dropped out twice. I had to just look all that in the face and go, I got to go back. And so I, I was working full time, but I got in an associate's program and I just started taking one class at a time. I just eased in and was like, okay, just, just get through this one and let's see how it goes. And um, because I had that new love of learning, things felt different. And I felt like this is possible. I'm excited about learning in a different way this time. Well, that turned into finishing my associate's program with honors, which kind of blew my mind because I was like, I've never been that kind of a student before. And then I thought, That's well, amazing. yeah, like, well, why not go for the bachelor's now? Cause I've got this momentum and I, and I honestly, I was like, I don't want to lose it. <laughs> and so I ended up going for the bachelor's again, graduated with honors. And then I, I had the momentum to go, all right, the door's open. Let's go for master's. But the difference to the whole time was I started focusing learning on what I loved and what I was doing in my career and what I wanted my life to be about. So it was like I was supercharging it in a in a cool way. And the bottom line is ended up with three degrees, smashed the old mantra that school's not for me. And the thing that I overcame, and I kind of want to just say out loud is sometimes kids don't they don't get a good introduction to learning and they don't kind of find themselves. But if you stick with them and they can find their love of learning, anything else is possible. And that's kind of what happened for me. I love the, the unlock when you just the notion of this, this passion, right? That you are not just doing this to break the old mindset that there was a reason to do it. I think 
one of the things that stands out for me is how goal oriented you were. You had these two business mentors say to you, you know, you, you may not amount to much unless you do this. Yeah. And you believe them, right? That to me is kind of, that's, that's the spark. And then being able to focus the education directionally into something that you were excited to pursue. How purpose, cool right? There was yeah. this huge purpose, but Alex, there was also a bunch of fear in there. You know, I was paying child support and my life was a mess. So it was, it was like inspiration and desperation combined. That's great. So uh, let me ask you, how has mindset been showing up for you? And we have to ask this question. We're in the pandemic and recession. How has it been showing up for you during all this? Have you ever heard the uh, the acronym AFGO or AFCO? No. What is it? It stands for another fucking growth opportunity. <laughs> so okay. I that's kind of how I've been uh, viewing the pandemic and, and the recession, whether it's trying to cope with quarantine or co-parent with uh, little to no help and all these new dynamics of you know, and I have to cook now. I don't normally cook. I've, I would order takeout all the time and get stuff from the grocery store. And now I'm cooking all the time to how do I manage my business to handling investments in a stock market that is completely schizophrenic. You know, all these things to me present an opportunity to actually use these tools that we're talking about. I mean, this is where the rubber meets the road, right? You can't talk about mindset and resilience and not you know, flex these things when, when things get, things get really hard. So my morning routine in a lot of ways is sort of the bedrock for my day. I very intentionally look at the 24 hours ahead. I try not to look and try not to do too much futuring. I think staying fit, you know, as I shared, you know, six days a week, I'm doing something for physical fitness. One day a week, I I rest, uh, going to AA meetings, my men's group, more recently, I've started doing breath work with Wim Hof, uh, the Wim Hof methodology and cold showers. And, you know, patience is the really big lesson that's been coming up more than anything, you know, patience in all these things, you know, work, personal development, parenting, quarantine, the news cycles, just finding patience, patience and not getting attached to to plans and recognizing that, you know, you can intentionally set plans, but in a pandemic, be patient when they don't work out. Patience with Zoom and, and internet connections. Um, <laughs> you know, I saw a great cartoon the other day that before you marry someone, see how they react to a slow internet connection. Oh my gosh. I think <laughs> and, it's so true though. I, I mean, now more than ever, life's um, unpredictable anyway, but during the pandemic, like you said, with planning, who knows what's going to happen and whether things are going to be open or whether they're going to close again. Or, and this is going to go on for a while. Yeah. And I mean, related to that, I started dating somebody uh, long distance during the pandemic. We connected. Yeah, we connected last year and she's amazing, but the timing wasn't right for one reason or the other on, on both sides. And um, we've decided to go for it. But we're, we're meeting up in Mexico. She's in London. It's, you know, I can go to London, but she can't come here. And wow. you, you just don't, yeah, you have no idea kind of how these things are, are going to unfold. And I, is that kind of exciting though, in a way? It is exciting, but it's, it's a little stressful. I think it's also kind of, you know, candidly, I think it's super romantic, right? <laughs> you're, 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 you've got all these obstacles and it's, you know, love will find a way. So I think that's really beautiful. And, and she's just incredible and, and totally worth it. So love in a uh, pandemic. 
yeah. So I'm, I'm, I consider myself very lucky, but you know, it's not, it's not without, uh, it's not without challenges. Yeah. How about you, man? Um, similar things, mental diet, managing my internal conversation, setting and nailing goals has been really important. Continuous learning, even this podcast. I love learning. I love, uh, kind of filling my mind with new thinking and new ideas in this podcast, learning how to podcast has been so fun doing that with you, making memories with the family. So something we had been in previous years, traveling via plane, we, you know, we have this value in our family of taking our kids to see the world and experiencing the world and other cultures and lifestyles and that sort of thing. And then this year we can't. So, uh, we jumped in the car. We've already done 6,500 miles on the road in a very safe way that has just been a whole new way to create memories. So it's kind of that stuff. 6,500 miles with two young children and a dog. Yeah. A puppy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And a puppy. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds like more stress. (laughs) Sounds like, sounds like you've been learning the lesson of patience too, my friend. Uh, Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, uh, do you have it all figured out? I think this is kind of the million dollar question. You have all this experience. You've gone through these amazing, amazing life experiences and you've learned a ton about mindset and you help others now with mindset. Do you have it all figured out? No, of course not. I mean, I still struggle daily. I struggle with, with overthinking. I struggle with negative thoughts, moments of self-doubt. It's, it's an effort, uh, especially now in, in the pandemic, to really stay present and hold space for people and stay positive. So those are all things that I'm sort of cultivating. And I've you know, got all sorts of hacks for how to do that. And we'll share some of those at the, at the end of the episode. But I think one thing that's really important is accepting the impermanence of feelings. Uh, there's another acronym that I like, which is HALT. And that stands for Hungry, Angry, Lonely, Tired. And that when those Love that emotions... One. Yeah. When those emotions are coming up, you know, acknowledge them because it means that you are, you know, out of alignment in, in, in some way and you need to recognize that and be able to see these feelings as weather patterns. And sometimes it's, it's a light summer shower and other times there's, there's a hurricane and it's going to be there for a while. So trying to understand the emotions and sort of how long they're going to sit and then what is the right action to meet them and especially fear, especially fear, especially now. And when it comes up, labeling it, saying, oh, right, that's fear. Because you take the power away from emotions when you label them, right? Mm, yes. Yeah. And then you can get into what's the story behind the emotion? What is the story that I'm, that I'm telling myself? And what does that emotion mean? What you're saying right now sounds so simple, but that is a huge hack. What am I feeling? What's my story behind this? Put a, you know, Name the thing. Put a label to it. That is a huge hack. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's 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 like watching the weather. It's being the watcher and sort of seeing what's going on and not getting so attached to the emotions and viewing the the emotional triggers or, or the state of my mind as truth. It's not truth. It's impermanent. And there's always an upgraded version of self that's accessible to me if I'm willing to take that step back and figure out what's the action to get there. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, the last thing I'll say is that just, just trying to play and laugh a lot. I think everything feels so heavy right now and and laughter to me and just having a good time wherever and however I can, especially with my son, it's just so cathartic. Totally. I think my things are similar. 
I don't have it all figured out. I actually don't think that's possible. I think it's a practice that it's a journey that we go on and is a practice for life. And, uh, I just, you know, look forward to that sort of what you were saying, that next level of me. (laughs) Next level of me. That's great. That's great. So to get to that next level of you, are you continuing to study, learn and grow mindset? How are you doing that on an ongoing basis? Yeah, I, I'm still that voracious learner. It just meant so much to me to open this door and fall in love with learning. And I, you know, it's going to continue for the rest of my life. So reading, watching, listening, practicing, teaching, learning from the people I'm spending time with. Uh, it's just like going to the gym, right? You, you never, totally. yeah, you never, it's never all the way done. That's so great. I I really love those. And I I think mine are pretty similar. It's definitely also continuing to challenge the stories in my head. And um, I actually go to Instagram uh, a bit to see various heroes of mine and business mindset and spiritual mindset and and health and fitness mindset that I find, I find motivation there. And I just learned that uh, the Penn, that university of Pennsylvania has a, a resilience program that they're, they're sharing, which we'll drop in the show notes. That's pretty great. That's so uh, great right now. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I also wanted to share this little tidbit that I just learned, which is that Jim Collins, who wrote the book, Good to Great, had this section in there. Good to Great is one of my favorite books. And I was just revisiting this and thinking about resilience on this guy, James Stockdale. Now, James Stockdale was a former VP candidate. He was a naval officer and a Vietnam prisoner of war for seven years. And he came up with the idea of something that's called the Stockdale Paradox. And it's the idea of hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst. And that is what he did to overcome those seven years as a prisoner of war. It was a blend of optimism and reality. And what he called out was that the POWs that were solely optimistic, they didn't make it. They they died in, in Vietnam because they continuously thought, oh, hey, we're going to get out at at Easter, we're going to get out at uh, Thanksgiving, we're going to get out at Christmas. And when those dates passed and they weren't freed, they just gave up. And so really embracing what is happening in the moment and understanding it like this pandemic and embracing it with, with a blend of optimism and realism is super powerful. I love that. Well, we hope that this peek behind the curtain and taking you into the trenches of what we went through and how we've wrestled with mindset and resilience were valuable. And we want to leave you as promised with some amazing resources to help you on your journey. Regardless of where you are with mindset and resilience, we've curated a glorious and tight list of best practices and resources to help you on your journey. Here are the usual suspects. These are the things that a lot of folks are talking about these days, but are incredibly valuable. And we touched on them in the conversation that we just had. So gratitude, self-affirmations and journaling you know, individually. Can I just or say together. one thing on journaling, Alex? Yeah. I, I have my journals from those rough years that I was talking about and I went through. It is fascinating to go back and read those. So I just think it's such a great practice. I want to read those and just cry. <laughs> I bet you do. I just want to read those and sit in a corner and cry and hold myself. <laughs> All right. Send them over. I'll find it. You, <laughs> you got Send it. them over, man. You got yeah. it. Um, health and fitness, super critical, but 
how about this? Support them with morning routines to set those intentions. Experimentation and staying curious. This is a little less obvious, but curiosity in many ways is the driver for continuous learning and for being able to continue to get uncomfortable, right? right? Because when you're curious, you're always learning, you're getting outside your comfort zone. So that's a really, really important one. And as I just shared in terms of what's coming up for me in the pandemic humor, I just think we all have to laugh a lot more right now. Stand-up comedy is, is my, uh, is my Netflix go-to these days. Yeah. Yeah. Not really not watching a lot of movies. It's, it's really, I I just want to see stand up. I just want to laugh. So here are some hacks and heavy hitters. The first one is the story in your head. So when we were going through our, our personal experiences, we, you kept hearing us say that we had to kind of name the story, name the old mindset and start to unpack what we're actually saying to ourselves. So Alex said, label it right? The story that you're telling yourself about yourself all day long. And I have a quick story about helping someone by shining this light so that they could see it. I was coaching a leader in an organization and she was saying some disempowering things. And there were enough of them that I started writing them down. And at one point in the coaching, I say to her, can we just stop for a minute? And I want to read something back to you about what you're saying. Only this time, I want you to imagine that your daughter is saying these things to herself. And I'm just going to read them back to you. And so I start reading them. And with each one, it's like driving a nail and she just starts crying. Mm. And she just says, I can't believe that I'm saying those things to myself. And I can't imagine my daughter saying this. And I just, I share that story because sometimes we don't even know that this kind of stuff is going on in our heads all day long. Yeah, I, I I love that story, and I can just imagine how shocked she was. Yeah, it was shocking to have that. Yeah, to have that reframe. And similarly, we bring up a lot of these uh, limiting beliefs in in men's work and in, in, in the group that uh, that I'm part of and facilitate. And a couple prompts that I really love is that when you're on a particular topic and pushing a guy to kind of open up around how that manifests in his life. And what is the limiting belief? One question is what if that were true? And I call this disarming the bomb. And it's actually looking at that belief and having them talk out. What is the reality of that belief? It's actually true. And in most cases, the reality is not so bad. It's, 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 it's making it real that disarms that bomb. And another reframe that is equally powerful is to ask somebody, what if the opposite were true? What if you ask yourself that limiting belief? What if the opposite of that belief were true? And that allows an exploration of the possibility of a different life, a different reality. And that unlock is pretty amazing. Disarm the bomb and then explore the possibility. Those are great. That brings us nicely to practice and explore. So similar to that experimentation is this idea of it's not about an intellectual exercise. This is about daily, weekly practice. So you cultivate mindset resilience by making it the practice of curiosity, of exploration, of getting feedback, of you know connecting with others and talking about this thing so that you're starting to learn through it in a process-based way and getting out of that comfort zone where this is the huge one. Inside of practice is facing your shadow, which means you gotta go do the thing 
that you're afraid of. You got to go to the place that you're scared of. You got to go name and put a label on it, find the trigger, whatever that thing is. And one of the best ways that I've seen this be done is a, a physical experience. So you can talk about it a lot, but sometimes a physical experience is just the thing that pushes it over the top. I did a lot of work with Tony Robbins. I certainly went through all of his events as a participant. And then I came back as a leader and helped for years. And the hot coals, or you probably heard about, if you've heard about Tony Robbins, people walk across hot coals. This is at Unleash the Power Within, which is the name of the event, Unleash the Power Within. And you know, there are thousands of people in this conference center and he's up talking and he's very powerful. There's no question, but the idea starts to sit in on the minds of every person in this room. We're actually going to walk barefoot across hot coals. <laughs> and so it sort of just takes over this. Are we really going to do this? Yes, we're really going to do this. Okay. We're preparing to do this. And then everybody walks out and gets into lines and gets into state and then walks across the hot coals and person after person is successfully doing it and cheering. And it's just this huge transformation moment of, Oh my gosh, I can't believe that I just did this, that we all just did this. And a mind expanded can never regain its original form. After you've done that, you can't go back. That Nate, that must be so amazing to see so many people shattering a mindset and overcoming a belief. In, in such a big group setting, right? Yeah. People of all walks of life, people that you never thought would do something like that. And that's part of the transformation is it's not just what you're going through. Now you're watching thousands of people have this mind blowing experience. It's, it's, you know, intoxicating. It's amazing. I, I think these first two are so great because they really talk about how do you look at your mindset and challenge your beliefs uh, the second one, which is really all about how do you face your fear and put it into practice. These next two are more about what do you do when you encounter the resistance? So now you've committed to, you've recognized your mindset that you want to change. You've committed to changing it. What do you do when you begin to get in your own way? And the third one is emotional response, right? We have these emotional responses because we're emotional creatures and really trying to look at impulse recognition and control what happens when you're triggered. So how do you get out of your own way in those sort of lower states of consciousness? One thing that I've started to do is put post-its around my house of things that are meaningful to me. And I know that sounds super silly, but you know, I have just a couple. One, one is, am I creating suffering for myself? And that's there to recognize, is there a negative belief or story in my head that is getting in my way? Another is just be here now, which is all about sort of dropping into that present moment and getting out of my head. And I could even just sort of tap my leg three times if something negative is coming up for me. And I, I need to kind of recognize that there's something emotional that's a block. And number four is having compassion for yourself, right? Perfection isn't attainable. And part of resilience is recognizing that you're just not always going to live up to your expectations. And you have to plan for that. So be honest about where and how you're going to get in your own way. When it happens, love yourself anyway, because if you don't, that's when we quit. Right. That's when we lose that commitment to, to, to growth. And um, just a quick story. In the early days of getting sober, I called my sponsor and I was really feeling sorry for myself and having trouble getting my work done. And I told him and I said, but I'm just going to you know keep hammering away. And he said, well, is that the right thing to do? And I said, yeah, I think so. He said, well, what if you, 
what would you like to do? And I said, well, I would really like to do is just watch Netflix for three hours and eat some pizza and feel sorry for myself. And he said, well, could you do that? And I said, yeah, I suppose I, I suppose I could. And he said, great, do that for three hours, then get the hell off your couch. <laughs> and it made such a difference just allowing that emotion to. It's to permission, right? Give yourself permission to just have it. Yeah, just just recognize it and let it be there and say, hey, it's here. And because when you resist it, that's when you get stuck as well, right? It's like, it's the shame around having some emotion or feeling or thought that you're not supposed to have, but we're all human. Yeah, and right? perfection for me is a, I have a really strong position on that. I think it should be stricken from the dictionary because I think it leads to a lot of pain and suffering for people. It just to your point, it isn't attainable. And then, you know, people get really wrapped up in that thing. So progress over perfection any day. Any day. Yeah. Um, the next one is contribution. Get out of your head and get into helping others. There's something remarkably powerful about focusing on ourselves less and focusing on making a difference for others. Giving money is great. And if you can do that, but also if it's safe, spend time in whatever, whatever way you can working with people in need. Bottom line. Yes, we are going through one of the toughest periods in history. Mindset and resilience are your secret weapons and distinct advantage to navigate this pandemic. As Viktor Frankl said in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, between the stimulus and the response, there is a space. In that space lies our ability to choose. And in those choices lies our freedom, our happiness, and our destiny. I think that quote is just amazing. And I think you, our listeners, are just amazing for sticking around until the very end of this long episode. So thank you again. If you like what you heard, please be sure to give us a rating. Five-star reviews are, of course, acceptable. And please also share this with your people at work and at home. We are grateful to you for your time and attention and hope you learn something valuable by listening in. Remember, the biggest periods of change bring the biggest opportunities. We're in this together and we're here to help.